On this episode, I'm surprised I didn't have to use this button at all. Stop! <laughs> Stop, Juan! Stop doing this! <laughs> Sometimes I hate and love you at the same time. It's <laughs> no, but I, I feel like I did really good, and I, I pulled one over on you there. You really did. You were like a, like an ex-wife. I just <laughs> dug it in. Savor it on it for a while, then watch me just have a meltdown. <laughs> Beautiful thing, man. Not gonna lie, that totally made my week. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of No Country for Old Mark and Juan. I am your host, Mark Pearson, and this is my co-host... Juan Smith! Let's do this shit! (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't ready for that. Neither was my throat! (laughs) Was that Bobby Catheter trying to make an appearance? It was... You know, he might. He might pop in. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) Okay, so uh, everybody, thank you for your reviews. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, please follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Instagram at nocountrypodcast. On Twitter at podcast underscore country. Uh, also, you can email us at nocountrypodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 346-291-0050. So, uh, real quick before we get into today's subject. Uh, well, actually, first preview. Today we're going to do like a pretty interesting story uh the next episode we're gonna have we're gonna have another local houston comedian back uh back in with us not the one we've done before um it's uh, this guy's really really funny and uh i'm really really excited about it uh, i saw him at the show with sandra d and doug and nick you know and i just have to get another guy in here just too many funny in a, in a city of six million people there's a lot of funny people. Let's just I'm just going to put it that way. So I'm just going to keep reaching out to these people. And actually, I there's kind of a personal connection with this guy that I didn't know until today. But I'll tell that later on next week when we... I had one with Nick. He, I hate people, too. <laughs> <laughs> when he said his Nick hates people, I was like, I love you, man. <laughs> I was going to say, you have, one, you have one with two because you were homeless, too. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Okay, so real quick before we get into things, uh, we have two updates. Uh, first, uh, if you remember if, like four or five episodes ago in the Nazi meth troopers update, I mentioned that I wasn't sure if Hitler had Jewish ancestry or not. Well, I checked into it, and some Belgian researchers have done DNA tests on living relatives of Hitler. And the study suggests that it's possible he was related to Jewish and African ancestors. They want to do more research to have concrete proof, but not having any of Hitler's actual DNA makes it hard to prove. So it is possible, but still not 100% certain. It does seem ironic that the man who hated Jews and Africans so much that he wanted to kill them all could be related to them. So I said I was going to update you on that, and I found an answer. So there you go. And now for a listener update. <clears throat> so a listener reached out to me this week and asked to remain remain anonymous. Uh, she said that her step-uncle was Michael Patrick Ide. He was convicted of rape and murder of a 68 of 68-year-old Ellen Parker in Washington State and later linked by DNA evidence to the unsolved rape and murder of Lisa Monzo in California in 1984 after confessing to a fellow inmate in prison. 
He was sentenced to death for the murder of Monzo and died in prison in 2005. Ide had a history of violent sexual attacks beginning in his teens. He blamed his behavior on sexual abuse by a family member. He was also suspected of other rapes and murders, but no more have been proved. Uh, the listener told me that the area where he murdered one of his victims was where her parents decided to build their retirement home and then move their family to. So uh, It's a comforting spot. So. Yeah. So actually, she started off the message with, hey, uh, you're going to need to tell Juan that uh, you know somebody else who has, has had like run-ins <laughs> with a serial killer. And I was like, ah, dang it. <laughs> that is just wild, man. Like, yeah. Well, you know, sooner or later, Seahawks coming for you. Yep. <laughs> this and, is his place. <laughs> and actually, I know the area where this happened in California. It wasn't too, it was maybe like an hour and a half, two hours away from where I lived. And I've been through that area. It's a really pretty part of California. But I was just like, oh my goodness. I was like, another person. I was like, okay. So I guess it is a small world. It's kind of weird, but. You, you, it feels like sometimes these stories of these like violent criminals or people like Richard Ramirez or Ted Bundy or you know even this guy Michael Patrick Eide, it fe- you feel so far removed and it feels just like a story and then you know by random chance you and then in case you're feeling comfortable like oh uh, by the way be sure you tell Juan yeah because <laughs> uh, he probably was feeling pretty safe today I just wanted to know. I listen to every word he says. <laughs> and here's our connection. Have a nice yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> so anonymous. Thank you for the sleepless night that I'll be having tonight. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, um, <laughs> this anonymous person would would like to meet you sometime, Juan. So, you know, Okay, we- that's even got, it just got scary. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> listen, I'm not joining the team. I'm not signing up. Uh, <laughs> listen, I don't even do a, a, a crime podcast, and yet we're—I feel like we're getting some hot tips. These guys aren't getting. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep them coming. I'm just, <laughs> horrible friend. I'm gonna sell out my soul for some horrible stories. Yeah. What okay. level does he go? <laughs> Uh, okay. That's when you know you're a psycho like me when you yeah. refer to yourself in the third person. That's true. Like if I don't sound egotistical enough, where does he go? Why doesn't he <laughs> shut the fuck up? <laughs> uh, Start okay. parenting myself. Stop. Shut up. <laughs> shut up. What? <laughs> Too loud here. Stop. Stop. Slow down on the Pepsis. <laughs> Okay, so today we are going to talk about something and someone from our current time. Uh, we're going to talk about Kim Jong-un, uh, the supreme leader of North Korea. But in order to learn about this man, we are going to start by exploring some history to see where he came from and some background on North Korea. And I actually had someone request that we do uh, an episode on the Iran situation, and I did not have time, and I was like, okay, maybe we could do that later, because I feel like I would have to do wait. Like, I had to do so much research just for this one. Uh, this weekend, Jasmine was like, um, you're doing a lot of research. Can we do something together? I was like, ah, you're right, but I need to get this done. But I got it done. I didn't take a, too much time over the weekend, but I still had to take some time over the weekend. And it's kind of interesting trying to figure out when I can fit researching. Cause in the past, like, <clears throat> I don't know, week, 
I've barely had any time to do anything like any of my hobbies. Like this is obviously a hobby, but like any other things. So I've just been like doing like going to concerts, hanging out with Jasmine, hanging out with my family when for the holiday or whatever, and then working and then researching podcast stuff. This so. is my only outlet. <laughs> That's why sometimes I lose it right here. <laughs> so it's actually enjoyable though i like doing research which makes me consider actually getting a history degree although then you have to like the only drawback of that like i would like doing the research i would hate writing papers but i like doing the research see i, just, I like, like writing the papers and doing the research I you can you can write the papers i'll do the research and then i'll get the a's no i'm kidding yeah, you won't get a. <laughs> sir would you please stop using fuck in your th- <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is from this? <laughs> Dot. Dot. Why would have smiley faces and shit? Though? But you would talk about yourself in the third person in class. <laughs> Dotted it with an eye. He did. <laughs> oh, too much, of a, dude. Too much of a week. Yeah, but I'm glad that we're talking about him because, man, wait, what a lead in with the. Serial killer to go to one of the worst of all times. Maybe yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It actually, uh, doing the research was actually pretty fascinating because there's a whole lot more to it than you hear about in the media. And, I mean, just as in anything, you if you hear something on the news, you really don't get the full story. So you really need to do some research and, you know, dig into stuff. That's really why I like doing this podcast. I think our listeners would prefer, like I would, that uh, you do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know really listen people listening like seriously like we don't rehearse this shit. I'm <laughs> no. learning about it at the same time you are. Yeah. The I mean, only- it's time delayed, but Yeah. I do the research, I write out my script, and then Juan comes in. He has no idea what we're talking about. He doesn't maybe every once in a while I'm like, "Can you do like a Russian accent or something?" and he's like, "Yeah," or "No," or whatever. Most of the time Juan just comes in cold turkey and responds, which is kind of like the whole format I wanted anyway. But Anyways, both North and South Korea consider themselves the true rulers and government of the entire Korean peninsula. Yes, Korea is a peninsula that juts off from China. So it's out there in the sea, and it's between Japan and China. Uh, The Korean peninsula was not always divided. Korea was invaded and occupied by Japan from 1910 through 1945. So before World War II, actually before World War I. Holy cow, that just hit me. Yeah. So they were, wow. So yeah, they were occupied for 35 years. And then during this time, the Japanese oppressed the Korean people and attempted to suppress the Korean culture and way of life, which obviously they didn't appreciate that very much. Uh, after the Allied victory over Japan in 1945, the United States and the Soviet Union came to an agreement that divided Korea at the 38th parallel. It's one of those lines on the globe. That's the simplest way for me to, you know, and you know it's it's a globe it's not flat we don't live on a flat planet we live on a globe if you believe that uh sorry school failed you uh <laughs> even seahawk knows that's round <laughs> yeah <laughs> what was that uh that was my that was my seagull going by <laughs> okay oh, no that's that, not a seagull is it that sounds like a dying rodent or like it smelled one of those alka saucers. <laughs> Too much? <laughs> oh my goodness. I would be choking then. <laughs> the feathers go everywhere. <laughs> 
So, I'm kidding you, PETA people. I don't, <laughs> I don't harm animals. No. Uh, I prefer people. <laughs> <laughs> so dividing Korea at the 38th parallel cut the country roughly in half, and that left the capital of Korea at that time of Seoul in U.S.-controlled territory. So actually when the United States proposed this to Russia, they didn't think Russia would go, or I should say the Soviet Union, Russia, whatever. <clears throat> they didn't think the Soviet, they didn't think Stalin would go for it. They figured Stalin would want um, Seoul, the capital, and they were prepared to like negotiate hard for it. And he was like, "Man, sounds good, whatever." <clears throat> so he didn't seem super interested in it. And so then the United States set up a democratic government in the South, where the in what? Oh my goodness! While the Soviet Union chose Kim Il Sung to rule the North. Kim Il-sung had been a part of the Communist Party in Korea and China during the Japanese occupation, and he had fled the Jap- from the Japanese into Russia until the end of World War II. And so then after World War II, and actually because of his time in Russia, he became connected with Stalin. Oh. And so when you know St- Stalin heard about him, and so finally uh, Stalin was like, hey, you know, I want a Korean guy who's super big into communism. And he selected him to be in charge of North Korea. So once in power, Kim Il-sung set up a totalitarian police state. Uh, That is basically the most oppressive form of government that exists. I think probably the only more oppressive regime that has ever existed is the Roman Empire. I'm pretty sure the Roman Empire was the most oppressive regime that has ever existed. And yes, I said that twice to reiterate it. Uh, If you don't know that... Feel free to research it. If not, wait for me to do it because I'll probably do it sooner or later. There's so much to do. There's like, what, four, three, four hundred years to go through? I don't know. A lot. <clears throat> Anyways. That's way too uh, much research for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to. I wouldn't go through the whole thing. I'd have to pick Jews a couple things. Um, so the country of North Korea is extremely isolated, and they do this by choice. Uh, they try and control everything. Residents are not allowed to leave the country. Everything is owned and controlled by the state government. The media, the propaganda, and everything, it's set up, you know, Kim as to be like a god dictator. And, you know, there's all these grand statues and imagery that you see often in communist countries. So Kim Il-sung held the belief that all of Korea should be unified under his rule. And so in 1950, he sent North Korean forces to surprise attack South Korea. They took the capital of Seoul and much of the Korean peninsula with the help of China. And then, yeah, China got involved. And then the U.N. and the United States intervened. They were like, that was back during like the start of, well, that was actually during the Cold War. And so then it was the whole like mentality of like checks and balances. We have to stop the communists. We can't let them take over everything that was there. That was Vietnam. And, you know, it's like a TV show, but it's our actual history. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It actually would make pretty good television. Uh, Compelling, I should say. So uh, territory exchanged hands quite significantly for three years. But finally, the Korean War ended in a stalemate, and then they finally signed an armistice agreement after these three years, which divided North Korea from the south at the demilitarized zone, which is roughly near the 38th parallel, but it's not exact. It's not a straight line like it was before. Here's a simpleton question for you. What? So if you break up the territory, is it physically about the same size, or is... One side larger than the other. Uh, they're roughly the same size. They're not exactly the same size, but they're roughly equal in size. It's not exact, but they're close to the same size. Okay, that works for me in my head. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> so well, I'm, this, you, I'm, I'm a simpleton. I'm thinking risk. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, actually, for South Korea, uh, South Korea uh, only land border they share with any country is with North Korea. All of the rest of it is surrounded by ocean. So that is that, isolation. It the, South Korea is pretty isolated. Uh, North Korea in is on the east and west. West is the ocean, and then the north is China, and the south is South Korea. But Japan is close by, so the United States built obviously built military bases in Japan, and then has them in Japan. So they've always been strong supporters of South Korea because, you know, got to keep them commies out. So despite the armistice, though, there have still been incidents between the two countries, such as the Korean axe murder incident. So there's this place on the Korean border, the border between North and South Korea, called the Joint Security Area, or JSA, in, oh my gosh, Panmunjom. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I'm trying to. Sounds um, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if it comes with noodles, I'm down. <clears throat> I love Asian noodles. Just let that out there. Yeah. So on August 16, 1976, two American officers were killed in a confrontation with North Korean soldiers. Between two observation towers in this area, it's an area where, like, the North and the South can get together and meet. So they each have, like, observation towers, and they have a line where they can't go across, and there's a bridge where the Americans can come and go, and then there's a bridge where the North Koreans can come and go. I should say Americans and South Koreans. But there's a tree that obstructs the view between two towers, and so uh, an American commander was like, this is ridiculous, we can't see between our observation posts. Uh, let's just go prune that tree. So a group of American soldiers, or I should say two American officers and then Korean soldiers were set out to prune it. And <clears throat> these guys were not armed. They only had axes and then each officer had their sidearm. They didn't carry weapons with them because on that area, only there's only a certain amount of people allowed to be armed for the North and the South. So they can't all be super like, you know, you know, kitted out and everything while they're there. They're not from Texas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, oh, you they, mean this one? <laughs> Pulls out an AK from his back. <laughs> they went out to this tree and they started uh, to prune it. And there was North Korean soldiers there. And there was one North Korean commander there, uh, commanding officer there. And he watched the whole thing for 15 minutes and didn't say anything. And he just sat there and watched. And so finally, after about 15 minutes, the uh, North Korean commanding officer ordered them to stop, saying that the tree could not be trimmed because their leader, Kim Il-sung, had personally planted the tree and he nourished it and it grew under his personal supervision. Like, when you get into the North Korean way of thinking, the way they talk about Kim Il-sung, it's so much BS. It's all this hyperinflated, like, he's a god, he's the greatest thing ever, like, the world exists because of him. Our it's... To, to you and I, it sounds so crazy. Yeah, but even people, me. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> but people grow up in this environment, and they're indoctrinated into this. And so um, the American officer in charge turned his back on the North Korean officer and told his men to finish trimming the tree. So the North Korean officer ordered one of his men to run across the bridge back to the North Korean side. And then a few minutes later, he returned in a truck with 20 soldiers. So the North Korean commander once again approached the American officer and ordered them to stop trimming the tree. And once again, the American turned his back on him and ignored him. Then the North Korean officer took Why off his... are you turning your back, man? Exactly. The North Korean officer took off his wristwatch, wrapped it in a handkerchief, and then yelled, Kill the bastards! 
and the North Korean soldiers attacked the American officers and South Korean soldiers with crowbars and axes, beating them to death. So, after this attack, the North Korean media released this statement around, this is, like, this is how they talk. You, you look completely enthralled right now. I just got it up. <laughs> so, this is what the official like, North Korean statement is. Around 10.45 a.m. today, the American imperialist aggressors sent 14 hoodlums with axes into the joint security area to cut down the trees on their own accord. Although such a work should have mutually consented beforehand. They missed a B in there. I, I took this directly from the, the source document. So they need to work on their English a little bit, as do I still. Uh, four persons from our side went to the spot to warn them not to continue the work without our consent. Against our persuasion, they attacked our guards in mass and committed a serious provocative act of beating our men, wielding murderous weapons, and def depending on the fact that they outnumbered us, our guards could not but resort to self-defense measures under the circumstances of this reckless provocation. So they just spun a story that was not really true because there was other people in other towers that witnessed this. So yeah, there's Kim, plenty of lawyers that could have called them and done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Kim Il Sung, uh, Kim Il Sung's son, Kim Jong Il, he condemned the Americans and the so-called attack to their allies, like uh, the Romanians and the Soviets and everything. And the CIA, however, believed that the North Koreans had planned this attack all along, or something of this kind. This obviously put both sides on high alert. And tension was high between the two countries. The American generals and commanders wanted to retaliate with force, but they also didn't want a full-on war. So they decided to cut down the tree with overwhelming force as a show of strength to the North Koreans. This mission was given the name Operation Paul Bunyan after the fictional giant lumberjack. So three days after the attack, Operation Paul Bunyan was carried out. 23 U.S. and South Korean vehicles drove into the area carrying eight-man teams of military engineers with chainsaws. Two How big is this fucking tree? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a decent-sized tree. It's a pop. Apparently. Tree. So it's probably like 35, 40 feet tall. Well, actually, it's probably taller than that, but I'll get into more of that in a little bit. <clears throat> so along with these engineers came two 30-man security platoons armed with pistols and axe handles. Why only axe handles? And then 64 because South... Because they have the intentions of hurting them for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and God bless America. <laughs> Land, we're going to hurt you a lot worse, all right? You want to come fuck with us? You want to fuck with us? We're just going to go fuck the heads. We're just going to beat you with the handles. Yeah. You can watch us suffer. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you were saying. <laughs> Uh, also, it's the American like, way. Yeah, <laughs> we're not just gonna get even. We're gonna get uneven, because that makes us feel better. Yeah. So, and sixty-four South Korean special forces armed with clubs, they began blocking <laughs> the North Korean bridge with sandbags. So is they this like, like, a, like it's like a Fred Flintstone cartoon. It is, but it gets crazy. So, like. 
it's all these guys come in. Then these South Koreans come in and they start blocking the North Korean bridge with sandbags. They're like, hey, you, you know, making it so they can't drive across or come across. And there's 64 of these South Koreans with clubs. But as they finish putting the sandbags out, the South Koreans pull out M16s and M79 grenade launchers out from underneath the sandbags. So now they're armed. They're like, hey, we're ready for this. Then several of the South Korean commandos strapped Claymore mines to their chests while holding the detonators in their hands and began shouting to the North Koreans, hey, come across the bridge. Okay, they're not playing. They're not playing at they are all. Not playing. So that's These not people all. are hard, man. That's yeah. scary. That's not all. In addition, these men on the ground were also supported by the USS Midway, which is an aircraft carrier task force. Not just the Midway, but the entire Midway task force, which had been moved just offshore. So that, so that whole fleet was there, and the aircraft which were on the Midway, ready at a moment's notice to scramble to come obliterate North Korea. In addition to that, at the border was seven Cobra attack helicopters, 20 utility helicopters, overhead B-52 Stratofortress bombers escorted by F-4 Phantom fighters and South Korean fighters. The DMZ, along the whole DMZ, it, it, it had been reinforced with more troops and artillery. So they were just not messing around. I just picture like a really Texan American military guy <laughs> standing there with a foot on his platoon going, all right, boys. <laughs> and I, you know, spits of that motherfucker. Like, yep. <laughs> That's exactly what let's I go show them how we do it American style, right? <laughs> like, that is so great. <laughs> That's like, okay. When you started with the clubs, I was like, okay, this is like prehistoric and bloody great. And it ends with, you know, <laughs> fighters and Apache helicopters and whole. Aircraft carrier yeah. unit, like yeah, that's just be. We're dicks. We're dicks. Yeah. <laughs> we're just like here's our hugest dick and a bunch of dick support. <laughs> like, I love it. <laughs> it. It was basically like, oh, your little country thinks you're strong. Okay, well, we're a world superpower, and just like we're gonna flex every muscle we have. Yeah, that's <laughs> like they pulled up in a Prius. <laughs> And I pulled up my F-350 in four-wheel drive. Like, I'm literally going to run over your vehicle. (laughs) Yeah. So, when the North Koreans saw the engineers beginning to cut down the tree, 200 soldiers were called in, and then they started to set up two machine gun nests. However, no action was taken by the North Koreans. It took 42 minutes to cut the tree apart. The engineers, however left a 20-foot-tall stump section of the tree up. As a reminder, I've seen a picture of this. They basically cut the top off and then cut all the limbs off. And they left the stump there as a reminder to the North Koreans that, hey, we can come do this basically whenever we want. And then the South Korean soldiers and commandos went and defaced it with anti-North Korean slogans and stuff and then went over to two North Korean guard posts and did the same. Yeah, that's like a big middle finger or a giant dick. Yeah. (laughs) Just flicking you off. Yeah. (laughs) So after this, the United Nations demanded that the North Koreans find the people responsible for carrying out the murders and to punish them. Kim Il-sung expressed regret over the incident, but that's all he did. Uh, Yeah. 
they weren't going to go punish them or anything. But, you know, the Americans got to show their force and basically put the Koreans to take a step back and be like, you can't push us around and you can't kill our guys because we're not going to sit here and take it lying down. So Kim Il-sung, then around this time, he put his son, Kim Jong-il, in charge of the country's propaganda and media. And so in return, Kim Jong-il made his father into a god in the eyes of the North Koreans. Kim Il-sung's title was now the Great Leader. Kim Il-sung also created and implemented the Songbun policy, which separates people of North Korea into three groups. Sorry, into three groups. First group, the loyal. The second group, the wavering. And the third group, the hostile. Depending on where you found yourself in the Songbun system, that would determine your access to education, food, medical care, and work. Kim Il-sung enforced this and punished any threat to him, real or imaginary, through public executions and forced disappearances. Those who found themselves in the lowest class, the hostile class, would be executed or forcibly relocated along with their entire families as added motivation and incentive to do whatever the government told them to think, feel, and believe. Those who were unfortunate enough to, unfortunate enough to be relocated with their families to concentration camps to were sent out to perform heavy labor and had to endure terrible conditions, lack of health care, poor food, sexual assault, and torture from the guards. Most people held in such camps, most people were held in such camps for their entire lives. And the practice of public executions for, and forced relocations to these camps still exists today in North Korea. And there's actually four giant camps in North of these concentration camps in North Korea. I it's, mean, to be honest, let's be real. Whether you believe it or not, you're probably going to pretend you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. And be, actually... You would be... We, you know, we have freedoms here that are just... We forget how fortunate we are to we live do. where we live. Because yeah. these, these kids that are born into this, they don't have a choice. No. You know what no, I mean? They and have so, no choice at all. I mean, I can play because there's things I can't say on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, man, we got a lot more access to at least twisted truth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, there was a video I found in the inter of an interview with a guy who escaped North Korea and defected to South Korea. And he actually, when he was six or seven, uh, his father was on the hostel list. So his whole family, including his grandparents, was sent to a concentration camp. And he was there for over 10 years. And for some reason, somehow, he got released, even though mostly everybody that goes there never gets to leave. A few do, occasionally. And he was one of the ones fortunate enough to be released. And then he escaped to South Korea and he shared his story, and he was just like, it was terrible. He was like, it was just like the most hopeless, depressing thing you could ever imagine. And he's like, and I endured that for over 10 years. I was like, holy cow. Like, what kind of, like, per like that's a strong person that takes that, and then when he gets out, it's like, I'm leaving. I don't care if I die. I'm leaving. That's Oh, yeah, he knew they weren't playing. Like, yeah. If they caught him, that's a life and death. He yeah. was, you know what I mean? They, they weren't going to give him a chance to. No. We complained yeah. about three strikes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, Kim Il-sung also began the practice of abducting people from the surrounding countries and forcing them to do specific work to help North Korea advance. 
Most of the abductions occurred during the Korean War, but hundreds happened in the decades following the Korean War. So they do this thing where like, oh, hey, we need, you know, whatever they think they need for whatever part, you know, what they want to advance science or they want to advance some sort of industry. Hey, let's find somebody in a neighboring country that's really good and we'll just go kidnap them and bring them over here and force them to work. That's something that they've actually did really a lot during the Korean War in the 60s and it, they'd slowed down a little bit, but they still have been known to do it. Well, I'm not making any nuclear fusion over here, so I'm probably pretty safe. <laughs> yeah. I just hope Kim Jong-un doesn't get into podcast or we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so on January 21st, 1968, Kim Il-sung ordered an attack by 31 of his special forces. They had trained for two years for this attack. They had built a mock house and everything. The goal was to kill the South Korean president, Park Chung-hee. Uh, his ultimate goal was to bring South Korea back to North Korea and force South Korea to be all communist. And he thought if he killed the South Korean president, he could accomplish this. So the 31 commandos snuck across the border, which is insane because that border is just riddled with landmines. I'm not even kidding. It's one of like there's hundreds or thousands of landmines in the DMZ. But they snuck across the border. They must have had like mine detecting equipment or something. So, and uh, they hiked to the South Korean presidential home. Like I said, it's like 25 miles. It's a long, you know, it's a long way on foot. But you know, they did it in a few days. I must be just to show a power because if I'm the president, I'm living on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm like, where's the furthest away from the DMZ I could be? <laughs> so at 10 p.m., the commandos approached. A checkpoint 100 meters away from the Blue House. The Blue House is the presidential home of South Korea. So it's not the White House. It's the Blue House. It has like a blue roof. So it's better than the Blue Balls, I think. <laughs> uh, should we take a poll? No? Okay. <laughs> should we take a poll? <laughs> uh, they were stopped by a guard at this checkpoint. And the guard was not satisfied with their answers, and he drew his pistol. The commandos immediately fired on him and other guards while throwing grenades around the checkpoint. After several minutes of gunfire, the commandos retreated where they were killed, and one was captured but later died by committing suicide. So the attack was unsuccessful. They didn't even get close to the South Korean president. They killed a lot of soldiers and some civilians because there was a bus stop there and there was a bus full of civilian years and like the gren a grenade or two got near the bus and like 20 some civilians died. It was actually really sad. But they, uh, the, all of the uh, commandos that came down basically were hunted down and killed. <clears throat> so Kim Il-sung then spent the latter years of his time in power consolidating his power. He reformed the government and went from being the premier to the elected, I use that word loosely, president. He went on to also arrange for his power to be transferred to his son, Kim Jong-il, as his successor. Successor. Successor? <laughs> successor. Uh, this move was unexpected considering he had other children and also that up to this point, no communist country had ever had hereditary rule. The North Korea was and is the only communist state to have ever done so and still remains a family-run state to this day. No other uh, every other communist country, another general has stepped in or another political you know, highway, bigwig has stepped in. But North Korea is the only one that's gone from father to son, father to son. So it's a unique uh, 
in a unique position there. Uh, Kim Jong-il was not expected to be the next leader growing up because he didn't have a strong interest in politics or the military. He had a fascination with film and movies. That was like his biggest thing he loved was film and movies. So in his adult years, he made himself valuable to his father by creating propaganda films for the government and also started the North Korean film industry. And this is how he made his father to be a god to the people of North Korea. So just to give you a taste of what propaganda in North Korea is like, uh, I found a video on watchmojo.com, and I'm just going to read off some of the highlights. But here are the top 10 most ridiculous lies North Korea has ever told the world. So this is stuff they actually claim. So number one, Kim Jong-il was good at everything. They claim he could walk at three weeks old, he talked at eight weeks old, and that he wrote 1,500 books in three years as a college student, that, and that he also composed six operas that are better than any in the history of music. It is also claimed that the first time he played golf, he scored 38 under par and had 11 holes in one, and the first time he went bowling, he scored a perfect game. So this is just the most ludicrous, outrageous I know a couple people that lie, like, really extremely, like, and they really, you ever hear something like that, and they, like, believe their own shit? Yeah. And it's super entertaining. Yeah. And I can't say their name because it's too funny. But (laughs) even this person's lies and their weird grandeur is nowhere near that crap. Yeah. Like, oh, dude, I got nine more for you here. That was number one. That was just one? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Number two, Kim Jong-un, the son of Kim Jong-il, was a child genius. He was supposed to be able to drive a car at three years old and won a yacht race against a foreign executive at nine years old. Number two. Now, number three, Kim Jong-il supposedly never pooped or peed. How did he do this? Mind control. He had such good mind control, he could control what his body did with poop and piss and could also control the weather with his mind. The weather outside displayed to the North Korean people his current mood. He was supposedly also born on a volcanic mountain beneath a blazing star and a double rainbow. (laughs) It's so far. It's so far. It's like, no. And it wasn't just a rainbow. A double double rainbow. rainbow. And a blazing star. And they believe this shit. Yeah. Oh, my. Good. And he's never pooped. He just mind controls himself to never poop. There's just so many times when you can unconfirm that. Yeah. <laughs> just no, I'm took another shit. <laughs> Follow him around for 10 hours. He's going to poop eventually. <laughs> Take a piss, too. I mean, come on. Okay, number four. Uh, supposedly, North Korea has a wonder drug that makes people taller. Uh, Kim Jong-il was five foot three. And <laughs> he's apparently very he was very apparently insecure about his shortness uh he always wore pompadour hairstyle like a big puffy tall hairstyle and platform shoes always wore platform shoes uh what a bitch yeah. i'm five two never did either <laughs> very much had a short man syndrome so uh north korean defectors reported that during a festival once kim jong-il had short people rounded up and sent them to a camp to quote weed out the impurities of the race you said it's 5'3", right? Yep. 
I thought you were going to say he was going to use them for a film, so he looked tall. Because apparently he's not taking this wonder drug. <laughs> I know. But see, that's the thing. If they have this wonder drug, why aren't Koreans giants? Why are they all five foot two to five ten? Listen, I got my ass kicked once in high school. Yeah. And it was by a Korean guy. And he was yeah. the only guy in my entire class that was smaller than me. Yeah. But he knew some kind of martial arts. And like, dude, he must have hit me 20 times before I, even, I didn't even know where shit was coming from. I was like, was that a foot? Was that a leg? Was that an elbow? What the fuck did you just hit me with? Like, none of them were hard to knock me out, but it was so yeah. irritating. It was like getting attacked by a hummingbird with fists. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously this drug doesn't exist. So, yeah. I don't know. Because he would have took it. Yeah. <laughs> Number five. Their parliament. <laughs> this is another lie. Their parliamentary elections are democratic. Yes, they. it's called the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, and they claim to hold fair elections. However, their ballots only ever have one candidate for each position they are, quote, voting for. Uh, the person can reject a candidate by crossing out their name with a red pen or placing their ballot in a separate bin. But no one ever does this because obviously they don't want to die. Like, seriously, they check everything. Oh, hey, you voted? Did you? No, okay, no red marks. You're good to go. We won't kill you now. I mean, it's so absurd. Of course it's not democratic. You know, I was thinking Trump, I, because he'd only have to build, like, one stretch of wall. Like, you'd save a lot of money with his, with his little plans over there. Probably work yeah. better over there. <laughs> He's in this story later, too. Don't worry about it. Oh, no. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> so, number six, uh, they claim to have a cure for AIDS, Ebola, tuberculosis, and cancer. No, they don't. Um, Kim Jong-il, <laughs> apparently. How do you even respond to that kind of stuff? You don't. You There's no response. It's so stupid. I guess they probably wouldn't allow anyone to be gay either, probably. It's a communist uh, state, right? I didn't. So. I actually didn't run across anything like that in the research, but I'm not sure. I didn't look specifically for that, but I don't know. Just a thought. I, I don't know. Um, Kim, oh my goodness. <laughs> Lie number seven. Kim Jong-il invented the hamburger. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. They must love some hamburgers. <laughs> He's got a hamburger factory over there like, yeah. Actually, my way. The, where this comes from is uh, back during. So they had because they're such an isolationist country, everything is isolated. Their economy sucks because they don't do any foreign trade, really. So uh, also their farming system can't support all the food for everyone that they need. So they were having this massive food shortage. So Kim Jong-il decreed that everyone was supposed to be served this sandwich, which he called double bread with meat. Just, you know, a beef patty with bread on either side, so a hamburger. So then the government's like, hey, he invented the hamburger. No, he didn't. <laughs> Probably at that time you're so hungry, you're like, hell yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, line number eight, uh, Kim Jong-il's fashion took the world by storm. Like his look? No. No one anywhere ever started wearing tan or green shirts and pants with platform shoes and the squarest glasses of all time. Nobody. I've never seen anybody with him wear that. Ever. That's just blasphemous to the real style. Yeah. <laughs> because most Number of the nine. I knew could really dress. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, number nine. Uh, like, I would do that on Halloween. 
but no one would know who I am. Maybe I, like I think I did that Tuesday. <laughs> you should see how ridiculous I go out in public. <laughs> we need some footage of that. So number nine, uh, North Korea. This uh, this one kills me. So <laughs> this line number nine in 2012, North Korean archaeologist claimed they found a unicorn lair. They must love some unicorns. <laughs> a unicorn? What's in the lair? So Just in a- this lair is supposedly like remains of a bunch of dead unicorns, and that's where the unicorns lived back when the unicorns were on the world. Man, I knew unicorns were popular, but I had no idea <laughs> the power of the unicorn fantasy. <laughs> it's so... Like, what? Who thinks of this? That's what I want to know. So, a pedophile. No, a pedophile. Oh, my God. I know I'm going to make everyone happy. I'm going to let them know unicorns are real. <laughs> and they're from here. It's the weirdest stuff. Take that, Michael Jackson. So, finally, number 10 in the most ridiculous lies North Korea has told the world. Uh, every country in the world envies North Korean prosperity. That's the most ridiculous lie on the list. They obviously haven't seen Amigos video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? Yeah. yeah they, that, well, yeah. Well, I mean, come on. If they control the media, yeah. they don't have access to see, you know, how filthy rich the rest of us are. No. I mean, you know, but cause, because American standards are just, I mean, when we consider ourselves poor here, we're not poor by any kind of real standards. Yeah, you know what are, I mean? And yeah. people here can have even real money and still feel like they're poor. Yeah. Like, if they knew what, but imagine, what if somehow, right, like a secret VHS tape gets in there, <laughs> right, and they play like a Migos video, yeah. they're going to feel so betrayed. Yeah. They'd be like, what? What is this? Yeah. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Goodness. So uh, that is just a taste of what Kim Jong-il and his propaganda machine came up with over the years, and they still do it to this day. They say just the most ridiculous, absurd stuff. That is definitely a great number one. Yeah. <laughs> we envy their prosperity. No, there's no prosperity there. Sorry. Uh, so uh, trust me, there are so many more crazy lies they've said. Uh, but I guess when you control what everyone in your country thinks and believes, uh, you can make up whatever you want. And they do that. Uh, Kim Jong-il wanted to set himself apart from his father. So after his father died, he called himself the deer leader. While his father was the great leader, Kim Jong-il referred to himself or had himself to be referred as the deer leader. Um, when Do you I have first any heard, idea why that would be? I think he just wanted to have some sort of you know, differentiation. He didn't want to get like everyone be like worshiping his dad. He wanted to be worshipped next, probably. The deer leader, though? Yeah. <laughs> and the first time I heard that, I imagined him like running naked through woods with just his glasses on. Like, r- with a bunch of deer following him. Like, we love you. We love you. Like, you know, actual, like, forest deer. Except they'd be unicorns, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I want to. I'm, I'm smoking, and I don't have dreams that good. <laughs> oh. Horrible friend. This is why we're friends. <laughs> We we think of weird <laughs> stuff, and yet our brains go in the same direction. <laughs> One day, hopefully, you'll get to see us in public. Yeah, but it's probably. I wish I could. Get <laughs> sh- 
I literally wish I could like instantly make short films out of the stuff that goes through my head and just post it on YouTube. It would be funny. I know. Yeah, that was so detailed. <laughs> Cause that's exactly what I thought when it said deer leader. I'm like, I, I see like a bunch of deer and then Kim Jong-il naked in the woods with just his glasses on, like with his hands over his dick and then running around and they're all following him. Like he's the deer leader. <laughs> That is just. I see. I thought I was the only one that nuts. That's great. <laughs> Makes me feel a lot more normal. I love yeah. it, man. <laughs> so uh, during Kim Jong Il's time as the president of North Korea, they experienced massive famine. Many people suffered and died because of this, and the food shortages and f- food shortages and malnutrition still plague the country. Part of that is because of their class system. So, like, if you're on the wavering list or the hostile list, you just don't get food. So you really have to really prove that you're loyal because they have government officials and soldiers and stuff that go around and, like, make assessments. Like, oh, hey, are you still loyal? We're watching you. I mean, it's crazy. It's funny, though. They don't have oil, so we haven't really gone over there and done anything. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, damn. He said that? (laughs) Yeah. I thought we weren't talking about politics or not. I'm just being a dick doing (laughs) it. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Well, this is this is actually really sad. While Kim Jong-il's people were suffering and were left to eat boiled grass and ground tree bark, he had his people fly all over the world from Iran, Uzbekistan, Denmark, France, and Thailand, and Japan, uh, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring back his favorite foods. He even hired a Japanese sushi chef to come live in his palace and make his favorite sushi personally. This man, Kenji Fujimoto, it's a pseudonym, it's not his real name, he was hired to work at an elite restaurant in Pyongyang for $5,000 a month in 1982. Um, like a in 82? Yeah. It, it, that's like drug only, money. Okay, okay. No, that's, that, that's crazy. Think about that. You have to understand, like, that's a lot in American money for 1982. Currently, that's Kim Jong-un's wife bought, like, an expensive purse, which was, like, $1,500. That's a year's wages in Korea, North Korea. So imagine year's wages back in 1982. That's crazy. This dude. If these guys are the ones that, that control the media, right? Right. So when they say the rest of the world's jealous of their prosperity, they're probably thinking about themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if I can afford to have my own sushi chef move in my palace just to make me sushi. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, yeah. Sorry, Migos. He wins. I don't know. I, he's getting, <laughs> He gets it all. That's really shitty. But, I mean, yeah. if they're coming from their perspective, sure. You yeah. can't have any more money than that. I mean, how much? You can't. Trump's like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, six years after he became the chef at the elite restaurant in Pyongyang, uh, Fujimoto was hired on to be Kim Jong-il's personal cook where they became close friends. They would go horseback riding, jet skiing, and hunting together. Kim was a foodie, and Fujimoto saw this and got on his good side by talking about food often because Fujimoto was obviously a trained sushi chef and just an expert on food, period. So Fujimoto later defected back to Japan and then shared the story you know, of, and actually he's appeared in films and stuff, but he always wears a disguise and has his voice done. Cause you know, I mean, he escaped, but, um, and then told us that's a balls, bro. 
Yeah, but he's still living in Japan. He was like, okay, I've had enough. Um, I I don't know exactly. It's amazing how they let him defect. Yeah, uh, you know they could have stopped him. Well, actually, how he defected was he um he Kim Jong Il would send him to Japan to get his favorite cuts of fish. For sushi. So one day he said, hey, I'm going to go to Japan or I'm going to go to Tokyo to the fish markets there to get you the best sushi. And Kim Jong-un was like, okay, fine. And he left and never came back. So. Dang, actually- that's some carry out. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. What's crazy is that he'd be in the position. What kind yeah. of. Nobody would even believe a story like that. So my super rich person who kept me in captivity, uh, I would go to Japan just to get some sushi. What? Yeah. So one day I just stayed. Like, oh, oh, oh. like I yeah. thought there was a big master plan. He had to sneak out in sunglasses. No, man, he no. went to the fish market and walked out the back door. Yeah. And actually, Fujimoto said that uh, Kim Jong-il would have him fly to other countries to pick up, like, ingredients for his other favorite dishes. And he would just, like, on a whim be like, hey, you know what I want tomorrow? I want cognac. And so he'd fly to France to buy cognac and then bring it back. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah, and he'd go on a private jet. So, like, he would be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars constantly just flying this guy around. Okay, because I was wondering how you could do that, spend that kind of money doing that. That totally explains it. Yeah. I mean, a, a private jet's, you know, $25 million. Yeah. Good but grief. It, yeah, it's insane. So, also, it is rumored that Kim Jong-il would have parties at his place. Kim Jong-il liked to party, and he would party all night. And so at his parties, he would assign people to have sex with each other and sometimes animals. And on a few occasions. Okay, whoa. Whoa, whoa. And before we. (laughs) And on a few occasions, he would have people killed at these parties. Time out. Dude. You have a way to make history and facts so interesting (laughs) and fucking funny. It shouldn't be. This shit's ridiculous. Yeah. When I saw this on an interview, like there was a guy who talked to Fujimoto and then Fujimoto told him, oh yeah, the parties were crazy. They'd be all night. And Kim Jong-un would be like, hey, you have sex with them and you have sex with that donkey and you have sex with that dog. Just like on a whim. And it's then like he rock, said, paper, scissors, scissors. And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. And then he said occasionally, then he would just be like, ah, let's just kill this guy. Just, like, the most weird, like, what? Who does that? Who's going to that party, bro? Exactly. Nobody would want to You get on the guest list, you're like, fuck. (laughs) Exactly. I could get laid, or I could get fucked by a donkey, or I could die. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, he would, would, like, drink himself drunk almost every night. Kim Jong-il. He was just hardcore alcoholic. Well, there's no one to tell you, or you're wrong. Yeah. So... Okay. Whew. Wow. Now that yeah, now that we're past that. Who needs and, fantasy stories, people? Let's, <laughs> let's learn some shit. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> so, as I said before, Kim Jong-il loved movies. He especially loved James Bond movies, but he identified a bit more with the Bond villains. Of course he did. He's crazy. Okay, maybe not crazy. He's just full of himself. Uh, he showed this by trying to assassinate the president of South Korea again. Okay, I should say his father tried to assassinate the other South Korean president. Now, he tried to assassinate the president of South Korea in 1983 in Rangoon, Burma. The South Korean president was traveling there. They were doing um, a memorial service for some other soldiers that had died. 
And the South Korean president was unharmed because he didn't arrive there yet. But when the bomb went off, 21 people were killed and 46 others were wounded. The Burmese police arrested three suspects. Two of these suspects tried to kill themselves with a hand grenade, but survived and then were arrested. The third suspect. Tough break. Yeah. (laughs) How how dumb are you? You can't kill yourself with a grenade. I don't know. Just hang on to the motherfucker. How, what? Put it by your head. Yeah. Don't be a pussy. Put it right up to your temple. Let's go. Yeah. I, sorry. I mean, it yeah. sounds harsh, but damn. If, you're, if that's if that's your goal, it's not that hard. Just put it by your head. I mean, even with the two of them, they could have put it between the two noggins. Exactly. They're trained professionals, I guess. Oh, yeah. They, well, loosely, use that word loosely, trained. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> no, it'll get you from 80 yards if you look right. Keep your eyes open. What? So the third suspect was caught and confessed to the attack and that he was sent by North Korea. Uh, North Korea officially denied any involvement in this. So why would he confess? They're going to kill you anyway. Exactly. I don't know. But Kim Jong-il's obsession with film never seemed to end. Uh, he saw the North Korean film industry was inferior. And yeah, obviously it was. I've seen some clips from it. It was terrible. It still is terrible by comparison to what we put out, our country. Or even you mean like, the technology? Europe. Yeah, technology. And like even just like music and just like just yeah, te- and just like quality of shots and everything. It's all like it's all MIDI karaoke background <laughs> <laughs> that's right i said it yeah it's not my fault your tracks suck uh so oh my goodness so this is crazy so kim jong-il he wanted to make his own industry better so he had cho un the most famous south korean actress kidnapped and then brought to north korea then he had the best and most famous South Korean director, Shin Sang-ok, kidnapped six months later. And these two were married. So he kidnapped the wife first. Six months later, kidnapped the husband. He had them, quote, educated on his life and achievements and the life and achievements of his father, Kim Il-sung. That sentence just makes my skin crawl. Yeah, so does the idea that they had to tell him there's two rainbows and a unicorn. how do they keep a straight face i don't i'm sorry if dust at my door that's some funny shit i don't know (laughs) yeah so uh kim jong-il at this time had a library of fifteen thousand films and movies and he probably most snuff films he had his he had these people or he ordered them to watch and critique four films per day most of the films were from the communist bloc but some of them were from Hollywood, and then together they, the three of them began to make North Korean films. They did this for like eight or nine years. Uh, eventually, one of their films won an award at a film festival in Czechoslovakia. So over this time, Choi and Shin began, they, they realized that, you know, they had to kind of play nice. You know, they didn't want to get killed or anything. They didn't want anything bad to happen to them. So they went along with Kim Jong-il and started to try and win his trust over. There's no other choice but death, really. Exactly. So uh, they wanted to escape, but they didn't want anyone back in South Korea to think that they went to North Korea willingly. So they would sneak tape recorders into their meetings with Kim Jong-il 
as proof that they didn't willingly leave South Korea. They've recorded one conversation in which Kim Jong-il told them about his plan to abduct them and bring them to North Korea. So that was a good way that they were like when they, you know, they Dude, were like, that they is were... some balls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's who they find that on you. That's a yeah. rap, son. Oh, yeah. So uh, they were always looking for a way to escape. And then an opportunity finally came. They had played along long enough for Kim to trust them. So he sent them to Austria in 1986 to find someone to finance a film. They checked into a hotel and then arranged a meeting with a journalist, Akira Inoki, saying that they wanted him to dinner er, do an interview with them. Excuse me. When he arrived at the hotel, they convinced their North Korean bodyguards to leave the room. I don't know how, but they did. They then told Inoki that they were seeking asylum and wanted to get out of there. So Inoki and them went downstairs, got into a taxi, but the bodyguards saw them trying to leave and began to chase them. The bodyguards got into another car, they got into the taxi, and they started racing through the streets of Vienna, Austria. This is the a movie itself! Yeah, it is. They eventually lost the bodyguards in traffic and pulled up to the United States Embassy and they sprinted inside. They were free, so they escaped. That is a crazy story, man. Yeah. They... I yeah, I would have been so relieved. <laughs> That's some James Bond shit right there. Yeah, you know uh, when so, you find you you finally make it in the movie. You know you get to the American Embassy and then the, the soldiers are there and then they let you run. You know? Yeah, and it's, it's exactly that. Yep, there's your propaganda film. Now you <laughs> twist some unicorns and some rainbows in it. And... <laughs> so uh, Kim Jong Il also started the Great Spy Panic of the 1970s and 80s on a dare from his father, Kim Il-sung. At this time, his father was trying to embed spies into the United States, but all of his attempts had failed. Kim Jong-il told his father that it would be easy, but his father dared him that he couldn't do any better than him. So Kim Jong-il took on this challenge and came up with an ambitious plan. He went to many orphanages in Pyongyang and personally selected newborn babies, twins in particular. He then had them undergo plastic surgery to alter their looks and then had hypnotes, hypnos, oh my goodness, hypnotists hypnotize and indoctrinate them to be loyal to him in North Korea. He then had the babies transported to Central America, specifically Panama, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica, where he would find local couples who were poor and paid them to take the children and pretend that they were their own newborn babies. The parents were then to find families from America who were interested in adopting a baby. Are, are you I, trying to freak me out, man, to tell my entire child? I'm just, I'm just reading. I, I'm shitting myself right Am I indoctrinated? So the CIA estimates about 40% of the children who were part of this scheme wound up being adopted by American families, particularly families that served in the U.S. military. Once adopted, the children were then brought back to the United States, and Kim Jong-il only had to wait for them to grow up and then activate them as spies. However, as the children aged, there arose problems. Some of them became violent and were known to curb-stomp bullies for harming their twins. Uh, if one of the twins happened to be female, they were known to be particularly violent around this age. But as they grew into adulthood, they wound up losing their aggression and getting married, wound up getting married to elect electrical engineers who enjoyed rap music. As the boys grew into <laughs> adolescence, they became. <laughs> You're fucking killing me right now. 
Eventually, most of these children were... Okay, sorry. As the boys grew into adolescence, they became sex-crazed and rebellious. They were short, but physically fit and very attractive, leading them to just become total sluts. Eventually, most of these children were identified and reprogrammed by the CIA. However, it is suspected that a few remain in some of the northern states, such as Michigan and Wisconsin, as these states have no real value to the United States of America anymore, and the CIA and FBI aren't willing to commit resources to finding them all. Oh, then I'm safe then. <laughs> and if you believed any of that, I'm shocked because I made it all up. I wanted to see how, uh, if I can make one, might th think he might be North Korean and how long I was literally it. shitting my dude. <laughs> you guys don't understand. He did this with such a fucking straight face. I trust you, man. I can't fuck with my I, dude. I'm one of the people that like watches all that weird shit about you know mind controlling. Oh, dude, you got me fucking good. I just, I'm gonna give you props right now. I was 100% balls deep committed to that shit. I was a bit, but no way. But I, my parents were in adopted us when they were in Panama, and then. I'm like, oh my god! And then you, they were in the twins, and one of the girls was particularly violent. And all I could picture was my sister when she kicked a girl's teeth out for not tying her shoe. And I'm like, oh my god, it is! Oh, but thank god! And then I'm like thinking, like, oh good, it's her. <laughs> and then the guys, I was, oh Jesus! Well, the listeners know me, so they probably knew that too. And they're like, oh my god! <laughs> nope, nope. I'm just sitting here in the barn. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> I, dude, I love you. That's that was fucking great. Yeah, everything was true except for that story, listeners. I made that up because oh, thank you. Because um, I was like, <laughs> please don't tell me you're gonna take away my unicorns, man. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> the only thing I made up was that story about the spy kids. <laughs> oh my god, that's the only thing I made. And the up. other one now works right under the president. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I I tried to work your brother in there somewhere. But I couldn't do it. And like as I continued writing the story, it just got progressively wilder. <laughs> and I was like, he's going to pick up on this sooner or later. Probably around the time his sister's curb stomping someone. Or the, by the time I call him a slut. So I was like, I can't fit his brother in here anywhere. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was great. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is why a lot of my family doesn't believe my stories. Because <laughs> I love to just make up the most outlandish random stuff. And I, uh, I just and see, want to see if someone believe you. It. I say the shit that really happens, and everyone looks at me like, "Sure, it did." And then I gotta always have like my Mark friend in the background. No, really, it happened. And then they don't know you either. And then they're like, yeah. for some reason, they trust you, so they're like, "Oh, it did." Okay. Back to your ridiculous shit, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to sometimes just you know give wild stories and wild answers just to see who's gullible enough to believe it. And every once in a while, I get to pull one over on somebody. And you know me well enough to just dig that bitch in. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you knew I literally was so into what you were saying about everything today. Yeah. Like, I'm leaning into the camera. <laughs> right? So he knew he had me. That was nicely played. Nicely played. Oh, that was so much fun. God, that was, okay. Dude, that was worth every bit of what effort you put in that, believe me. <laughs> I'm probably going to need therapy. I don't even know. <laughs> You're going to wake up in the middle of the night, like, imagining being Korean or like. Scratching oh, the door for <laughs> some kind of, like, special metal card that's got, like, I got, like, a UPS code in me somewhere or something. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so back to uh, the true story and uh, Kim Jong-il. So Kim Jong-il had a fear of flying, and he only traveled by armored train, private armored train, which is crazy. Uh, once when traveling to Russia by his armored train, he had live lobsters airlifted to him every day, which he would eat with silver chopsticks. Like, this dude just took took it to the max. Dude, it, it's like he's one of the My Little Ponies. Does he fart glitter? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that is... poop, cr- apparently. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but then my question is, then would he have rode a unicorn? <laughs> Maybe that's why he didn't poop. The horn kept him from pooping. Oh, my God. <laughs> I kept wake, thinking, waking up thinking he was at one of his parties. <laughs> Oh, so it was reported by the Sun newspaper that Kim Jong-il was obsessed with Elvis Presley and that his mansion was packed with Elvis's records and movies. I don't know which mansion. He had 17 of them. Um, it was also reported that he had a ridicul- like ridiculously huge porn collection. So somehow that doesn't surprise me either. He also- it does me. Why? Because he could have whatever he wanted live. At the risk of death. Maybe like, he liked blonde women. Uh, I, they probably got to die over there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How expensive is that? I don't, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, that's just what I... I I'm right. just saying, I, that's, that is that does seem weird to me. I, I mean, I guess, well, you could be like the biggest collector ever. Right? There's no limits. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that is really weird. Was, really was no limits. So, he, was he married? Uh, He was... He... Okay, so... As far as him, he never appeared in public with any of his wives, but it was known to South Korean and American intelligence like networks that he had two wives and like three or four mistresses. But the information on that wasn't like super prevalent and they didn't publish it. Like of the course, government right. didn't publish it. So they were they're pretty sure he had two wives and then like three mistresses and then kids from each of those. Not a ton of kids, but you know, some kids. So Actually, he had one daughter who there is no photo that exists of her. No one can find a picture of her anywhere. So no one knows what's up with this one daughter. They, they know she exists, but they don't know what she looks like. She's never been seen in public, never been caught on camera. So she's like Bigfoot. Basically. But she's just like Littlefoot, I guess, because she's Korean. Because she didn't get that special medicine. <laughs> that's true oh but bigfoot so, did we just solved the mystery bro yeah we did happened right here <laughs> only on this podcast <laughs> where, our, where our listeners call hey, it and tell this shit serial out. family no killer stories <laughs> what <laughs> hey i figured that shit out no way <laughs> that's gotta be cool yeah oh my goodness Okay, so Kim also loved basketball, uh, <laughs> the, the NBA. Yeah, so uh, something his son, Kim Jong-un, loves as well. So in 2000, uh, former U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright traveled to North Korea with, to meet with Kim for peace talks and presented him with a basketball that was signed by his hero, Michael Jordan. Defectors from North Korea have claimed that Kim has 17 different palaces and mansions all over North Korea 
and that he also had four billion U.S. dollars on deposit in North Korean banks in in case he ever needed to flee North Korea. Yeah, I think four billion is about right. Yeah, <laughs> he just had that in a you know in banks waiting. Billion, billion, four billion. Yeah, you could probably hide pretty deep with that kind of money. Yeah. So during the 2000 summit, Madeleine Albright, with Adam, sorry, with Madeleine Albright, a reporter that was traveled with her asked Kim Jong Il why he kept testing America. Kim Jong Il replied, <clears throat> "This was at the time when they were like trying to like get them to stop trying to get nuclear weapons." So. Uh, Kim Jong-un told the reporter, I know that as soon as we even try to shoot a missile at the U.S., their missiles and nuclear weapons will turn on turn our republic to ashes and wipe us off the earth. However, the only way to get the United States to engage with us is to develop our own missiles and nuclear weapons. So it's fairly obvious to me that they know they don't stand a chance in a full-on war with the United States. They do have the capability to do some damage in South Korea. Uh, the South Korea, as I said, the South Korean capital, Seoul, as I said, is only 25 miles from the DMZ. And the, uh, the rockets and artillery range of the North Korean rocket and artillery machines, they can shoot up to 40 miles. So they could kill hundreds of thousands of South Koreans very quickly if they wanted to. But they know that if they did that, the U.S. would come down really hard and really swiftly on them. And it seems that they just want, it seems to me that they just want to feel like a legitimate power in the world. They want to be legitimized as seen as like on the same, you know, field, same playing level. But he doesn't want to lose the comforts of all the uh, hard work of all the people he, you know, controls. So he doesn't want to really mess up his his deal. It's kind of sweet. Right. That is really, really sick, man. Yeah, it is. And so they have been maneuvering however they can to gain respect and validation in the eyes of the world, which is why they have worked so hard to you know, obtain nuclear weapons and build missiles. They just want to be on the same level as, you know, the other great powers in the world. You know, he needs to get a hat I saw the other day that I was going to get for myself. It just says on the front, fuck what everybody else thinks. (laughs) (laughs) That way, when I go out and look ridiculous, I already got your answer for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, Kim Jong-il started to set up uh, his son as the successor but Kim Dong Il unexpectedly died on December seventeenth, two thousand eleven. Yeah, especially and with all those cures. Yeah, exactly. He should have never died. Oh yeah, they have a cure for everything. He's a god, right? Yeah. Uh, his <laughs> his son Kim Jong Un took power over him, and actually, it was suspected at first that Kim Jong Il died of a heart attack. But a year later, it was reported that he died in a fit of rage over construction faults at a crucial power plant project. So the dude just raged himself to death. Damn. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the reality. Which caused a heart attack or something? Or like... Probably. Just... And fell over. Oh, dude, I sound like that every day. (laughs) I'm playing the lotto. It's not a good one. (laughs) Yeah. So, um... It, uh, I recommend that you, uh, if you want to right now or later, it doesn't matter, uh, look up on YouTube videos of Kim Jong-il's funeral possession. Uh, this is the thing I don't understand. People are, like, losing their minds. They're, like, crying and falling over and, like, you know, like, rocking back and forth. It, like, it seems really staged, but everybody's doing it, and there's thousands of people It's all there. the kidnapped actors. I'm just like, what? 
it just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, so um, one thing you will notice in the video is that Kim Jong-un, the son of Kim Jong-il, is walking beside the car that is carrying his father's body in it with one hand on the hood, along with umber- other members of the North Korean, you know, government and military. <coughs> and according to a National Geographic documentary on the Kim dynasty, when Kim Jong-un watched the movie In the Line of Fire with Clint Eastwood in it, he saw Eastwood's character running alongside with, or I should say, along with other Secret Service members, running alongside the president's limo in the film. In that film, Clint Eastwood is like a Secret Service member. And there's this really famous scene, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, where he's on like the front of the car. So Kim just, you know, and when Kim saw this, he said, that is how you protect someone. I want that done. So when his father died, he did it himself. And then when Kim met with President Trump in Singapore last year, he had his bodyguards walk alongside his car in the same manner when he arrived to meet with Trump. When Kim Jong-un took power, no one really knew what to expect. Uh, not a whole lot was known about him. In, uh, in North Korea, when the... Oh, yeah, sorry. There's a period there. <laughs> uh, in North Korea, when, a leader com- when the leader comes into a room, particularly in parliament, everyone is supposed to stand and clap. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> After Kim took power, he entered into the parliament and two people refused to stand. One was his uncle, Jang Song Thek, and it was believed at one point that his uncle might take power when Kim Jong-il died because Kim Jong-un was so young. He was like 27. And he, at that time, became the youngest head of state in the world. Obviously, Kim yeah, this power at 27? Yep. How do you not fuck that up? I don't know. But, obviously, Kim noticed his uncle not standing, or somebody didn't told him, and soon, two of his uncle's senior aides, uh, his uncle's senior aides, this is nuts, were executed by anti-aircraft guns while his uncle was forced to watch. They were accused of abusing their authority and for trying to organize a new faction and rejecting the system. Probably not true. Probably just trying to set an example and like throw down the law really hard and assert his power. Uh, Jen, that is some gangster shit. It, the guy witnessed this. It is said that when Jang watched this, they fired the anti-aircraft guns at these two guys and the guy's bodies literally exploded and blew all over Jang. And Jang fainted. Well, yeah. Yeah. Just That's horrific. Joel. That is absolutely horrific. And at first... Um, when the report came out, uh, people were really skeptical of it. But then spy satellites showed an execution taking place, and there was two anti-aircraft gun guns at this execution site. So they were like, oh, I guess this did happen. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, this is crazy. So later on, uh, December 8th, a few days later, his uncle, Jing Song Thek, was publicly expelled from the uh, Workers' Party of Korea. And the state media attributed this decision... Oh, my goodness. This, once again, was something that they wrote out, and it doesn't make sense in English. But anyways, his uncle was accused of having committed anti-party, counter-revolutionary, factional acts that included illicit affairs with women. What, like... That's it's ridiculous because all the people in power did that. Uh, harboring politically motivated ambition, 
weakening the party's guidance over judicial prosecution and people's security bodies and obstructing the nation's economic affairs. <clears throat> so later, a couple days after this, a 2700 word document was released calling Jang, quote, despicable human scum who was worse than a dog who betrayed his country. And he was executed by a firing squad a few days later. So then, shortly after this, Kim Jong-un also had others executed by flamethrower and a pack of hungry dogs. <clears throat> and the guy who was unfortunate to be executed by a flamethrower, Kim Jong-un, it was reported that Kim Jong-un said he didn't want the guy to be buried, so he just had a tank drive over him, his body several times. Whoa. Yeah, so... That's a sick motherfucker, man. Yeah, so Kim had two older brothers, but one chose to leave for China and the other left as well because he was more interested in playing guitar and being a musician. And, and not dying. Yeah, so that left uh, Kim Jong-un as the only candidate for the family line of rule because they figured, well, they would, they would want to keep it in the family. So his half-brother, Jong, Kim Jong-nam, had been using a fake passport to travel the world after studying in Europe. Because of his time in Europe, he had developed more uh, Western ideals and beliefs, which didn't line up with the political ideals of North Korea. He was caught with his fake passport trying to enter into Japan, which embarrassed the Kim family. And this is when a rift began to uh, develop between him and his family. And this was back when his father was still alive. So they were like, eh, they didn't really want to see him anymore. And he was kind of banned from coming back to North Korea. But Kim Jong-nam began speaking with journalists in China and Japan. And he actually lived and stayed in China for a while. He said during these interviews that he had no interest in becoming the leader of North Korea. And he didn't speak favorably of the country. He even said that he was personally against a third generation succession of the dynasty. He didn't think anybody in his family family should continue rule so clearly his father and brother did not like this but they still didn't do anything about it then he began to email regularly with a japanese reporter and in those emails he expressed his negative views of north korea and his family when kim jong-un took power in 2011 the reporter asked him for permission to publish a book about the private emails kim jong-nam asked him to wait but the reporter decided to publish them anyway because the changes that were taking place in North Korea at the time, and he felt that it was too important to not publish. So Kim Jong-un, while Kim Jong-un was taking power, Kim Jong-nam said he understood, but he told the reporter that he would no longer have contact with him and cut off all contact with the reporter. So later that year, after the book of the emails had been published, uh, South Korean intelligence intercepted a message from Kim Jong-un talking about his brother, Kim Jong-nam, saying, quote, I just hate him, so get rid of him. On February 13th, 2017, Kim Jong-nam was traveling and was captured on CCTV cameras at Kuala Lumpur Airport. Two women suddenly come out of nowhere, I've seen this video, and each rub their hands on his face and then disappear. First one woman comes up, rubs her hands on his face, and then another one comes up behind him and rub her, rubs her hands on his face. And then these women disappear. Kim Jong-nam began to panic and then asked those around him for help, but 
everyone was just kind of like, what? And use there's video of him like, please, please help me. And nobody would help me. And, he, and so then finally he died. So what had happened was the two women each had two parts of VX nerve agent on their hands. And when they each rubbed their hands on his face, the chemicals reacted together, killing a toxin that killed Kim Jong-nam. And it would have killed the second girl for sure. Because mm-hmm. she would have so, mixed with the first one. So she, she suicided it. Yeah, probably. Yikes. She knew. So oh, maybe she under, didn't. <laughs> so under Kim, maybe she was wearing gloves. I don't know. But under Kim Jong-un, North Korea has continued to develop nuclear weapons and is now has an ICBM, Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, for those of you who don't know what that is, which is capable of reaching mainland America. And they have also tested uh, nuclear weapons, so they have nuclear capability and the ability to launch them at America. They obviously want this as a deterrent to any American attack and a possible attempt by the U.S. to cause a regime change in North Korea. Uh, they also have the world's fourth largest army. Well, yeah, is- you're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kim Jong-un has learned that they don't have to use force to attack his enemies. He has also used cyber attacks. His, at- his hackers have stolen 80 million U.S. dollars out of the Bangladesh Bank, and they almost stole 1 billion out of the New York Federal Reserve. But they didn't accomplish this because of a spelling error. So kids, learn how to spell. Uh, He also has... It must be the same guy that sends those press releases. (laughs) (laughs) You fucked up again, Brian. (laughs) Cost us a billion this time. Uh, but your they, family, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they also have stolen money uh, via Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency schemes. So while Kim Jong-un can be a violent and harsh dictator, he is different from his father and grandfather. He spent nine years at school in Switzerland in his early teens. After he came to power, reporters found his classmates and asked what he was like. They said he was shy, but when he played basketball, they said he would play very competitively and talk trash. He also loves basketball so much that he would sleep with a basketball and is obsessed with the Chicago Bulls. In 2013, he asked for Michael Jordan to come and visit him. Jordan said no, but the invitation was then extended to Dennis Rodman, and Dennis Rodman said yes. I've seen the whole documentary on that, by the way. Yeah. In uh, his own words, Rahman said that he had no clue about North Korea and pretended that he was just going to Vegas and it would be just another one of his wild trips. He expected that he would just go play some basketball, shake some hands and take some pictures, but he had no idea what would really happen. When Rodman arrived in North Korea, he was taken to a basketball stadium. He walked in and someone showed him where he was supposed to sit. He says that when he walked in, people began to clap, and he thought the applause was for him. But he then realized that no one was looking at him. They were looking at someone to his left. Kim Jong-un had entered the building, and everyone was standing and clapping for him. Rodman knew that, didn't. however, at this time, Rodman didn't know that Kim Jong-un was the leader and dictator of North Korea. Rodman states that the standing ovation lasted for 10 to 15 minutes, and then realized that is how much power King Jong-un has. He says he was standing there thinking to himself, quote, what the fuck am I clapping for? 
Rodman says he was blown away to see all these people crying because they were in the same room as Kim. Finally, the basketball match started and Kim and Rodman talked about basketball and apparently Kim knows basketball very, very well. Rodman and Kim really hit it off then. Kim told Rodman, whatever you want, it's yours. At this event, the interpreter told Rodman, you are one of very few people to ever come into our country and sit beside our leader. And for some reason, he actually likes you. Rodman says that it felt like him and Kim had been best friends for years and that Kim said that he could return and visit anytime he wanted. <clears throat> Rodman has since gone back to visit Kim again. Why wouldn't he? Um, he gets anything he wants. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Rodman's broke now. Um, Rodman says that Kim has a private island, which is like Ibiza, but Kim is the only person there. So he's got this giant private party on him, but nobody's there. Uh, he says that Kim likes to be around happy people. So when he goes to the island or other places, he brings along people to be around him and laugh and had a good have a good time. So he's doing the same thing his dad does. He's like, hey, we're going to have a party. now. you all enjoy yourselves. I'd be like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I too happy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I, that's that's that's. Dude, you don't want to hurt this guy in any way, shape, or form. No. I hope he never hears this podcast. Literally, I hope he never does. Um, when ah, President fuck him. <laughs> fuck you, you, you fucking prick. So I'll say, when, come, come get me. You know where I'm at. <laughs> when President Trump visited Kim Jong Un last year, the goal for the U.S. was the denuclearization of North Korea. And according to Trump, Kim wanted all of the economic sanctions lifted. Trump said he wouldn't do that, so the talks just stalled. Later, North Korea claimed that they only wanted the sanctions lifted partially. I don't know who to believe there. That's a coin flip right there. I don't know. Yeah, so it, it just is what it is. Um, so the I know that Robin thought that he was doing like a great like connection... Oh, yeah. Like he was going to make a huge difference. He, I, yeah. He's, and actually, I mean, Rodman was part of the reason that they even met. Well, yeah. Rodman, like, wrote a letter to Trump and was like, I'll do anything to facilitate this. Like, let's work something out. And so that's actually kind of a cool story that, you know, his love of basketball kind of got this meeting between Trump and Kim Jong-un to take place. But They I think, really didn't get anywhere, but they at least met. Like, that was the first time a leader of North Korea met with a U.S. president ever. And he met with him twice. Probably just so I could flex on him. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, for them to think that they're going to make a difference with this guy. <laughs> I mean, come on. He thinks he's got. Yeah. You're just, a, you know, he's using you because you're a famous basketball player, you moron. <laughs> yeah. Let's call it what it is. If yeah. this dude wasn't a famous NBA uh, Chicago Bull, yeah. by the way, when the Bulls were bad motherfuckers, bad. and he yeah. was the baddest of the bad. Oh, he yeah. Rodman was is the the greatest rebounder and like, oh, defender God. ever. Like rebounds, as far as rebounds, nobody's better than him. At Listen, rebounds. I've been Detroit. I've been to Detroit since you know early '80s, right? Yeah. And it was always De you know Detroit and and Chicago. Chicago. Dude, even in Detroit, as much as we love Pistons, it was hard not to like the Bulls too, man. Yeah. And he was one of the reasons. Yep. Fucking hardcore ass baller, man. Oh yeah. And he wasn't. I mean, in their standards of bigness, he wasn't even that big. But he, dude, he ripped everybody. So, like, yeah. for them to think that, you know, he met because, you know, he was a diplomat, had nothing to do with it. 
Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> so the chef Kenji Fujimoto that I talked about earlier, he said that Kim Jong Un is a chip off the old block. Uh, when he was asked to just describe Ch Kim Jong Un, he said he's a spitting image of his father in terms of face, body shape, and personality. When he took over for his father, there was a marked rise in the import of luxury goods to North Korea. And according to diplomatic sources, Kim likes to drink and party all night, just like his father did. He even ordered an imported sauna to help him beat hangovers and fatigue. It's hard not to hate that, though. Yeah. Uh, it is believed that Kim is diabetic and also has hypertension. I believe he has hypertension. I've seen are you picture. are you setting me up again? <laughs> no, I'm not okay. setting okay. you up. <laughs> <laughs> and he often sits in a barn. Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm just you fucked me up, man. <laughs> he also smokes, which does not help his health. In 2014, he was not seen in public for six weeks, and the state media reported that he was in a quote uncomfortable physical condition. When he was seen again, he was limping and using a walking stick. So something happened health-wise, but they kept it under wraps. But obviously not serious enough because he's fine. He appears to be fine now. Perhaps most disturbingly is how women are treated in North Korea. Women are frequently subjected to many forms of abuse by those in power. Uh, police officers, prison guards, government officials... Uh, when such men, quote, pick a woman, they are left with no choice. They have to do whatever is commanded of them, whether it is favors, sex, or money. In an article from The Guardian, one woman stated, they considered us sex toys. It happens so often that nobody thinks it is a big deal. We don't even realize when we are upset, but we are human and we feel it. So sometimes, out of nowhere, you cry at night and you don't know why. That is sad, man. Yep, uh, another woman who fled to China was sent back to North Korea after being caught by the Chinese police. And she said that when they interrogated her before sending her back, during the interrogation, the policeman, quote, made me sit very close to him and touched me over my clothes and underneath. He also touched me between the legs and put his fingers in me several times during different days. Oh, that just makes my skin crawl. And that just really infuriates me. She felt like I'm not even a woman. I can't even imagine how much that terrifies women. I I'm just, just I can't believe that this stuff still happens. I it, oh yeah, this is just a couple of examples. I'm getting to more. So she felt that her life was in danger and that her face with it, fate was in the hands of this man. She felt obligated to answer all of his sexually explicit questions, whatever those were. Probably awful. Uh, North Korea likes to present itself as a socialist paradise with no crime. Clearly, this isn't true because many defectors over the years say differently, especially in regards to sexual assault. Also, a former female North Korean soldier reported who defected reported that once in the army, they were in such a... Yeah, there, there's like divisions of Korean women that are in the army. So there's like men, male divisions and female divisions. Um, she said it was such a stressful environment, which also combined with malnutrition, affected her so much she stopped having her period for over two years. She said most women have the same experience. 
She said that when she was in the army, she was not given any tampons or sanitary pads, so she had to reuse the ones she had already had on hand until her period stopped. She also said that rape is common in the military. She testifies that while sexual assault is considered a heinous crime in North Korea and is heavily punished, no one is ever willing to testify, so most men go unpunished. North Korea is also one of the worst countries involved with human trafficking. The most common form of trafficking involves North Korean women and girls forced into marriage or prostitution in China. Some are forced to serve as hostesses in nightclubs and karaoke bars. Many victims are unable to speak Chinese and are held as prisoners by their traffickers. That is such a specific, weird thing. Mm -hmm. So say that again. What do they do? So I'll say that again. The most common form of human trafficking involved with North Korea. There's others other than this. It involves North Korean women being abducted or sold, more often sold, to people in China being forced into marriage or prostitution. Some are forced to serve as hostesses in nightclubs and karaoke bars. And many of them are unable to speak Chinese, so they have no way to communicate. And they're often held as prisoners by the people trafficking them. They don't make enough money at these karaoke bars to pay these people? They got to have kidnapped. We're going to do one payment, and then uh, you're on for the rest of your life. Yeah. Or until you're ugly, and then we get a new one. Like, that's like buying a car, but like a person, and just using them. That is so... That's... Man, that really... that's got to make the hostesses, though, and them kind of upset. They're like, yeah. they're forced into prostitution or marriage, or you could yeah. end up a hostess. No! <laughs> Sorry, that's just where my head went. Yeah. So, yeah. That- At a karaoke bar, bitch! No! I mean, it's bad enough that you're being trafficked, but that just, that's... And the crazy thing is, is like, that stuff that really doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Like, all you really mostly ever hear about North Korea is Trump said something stupid or that he probably shouldn't have said, or they tested another missile or rocket. And these girls like, are going over having work at the worst MIDI-sounding yeah. karaoke bars for free for the rest of their life. There's yeah. some injustices, man. Yeah. And, and, like, with what I just told you now... I mean it when I say this is barely scratching the surface. I could have done another 20 hours worth of research. There was two other long stories that I wanted to put in here, but I didn't because I was like, I just don't have the time. I was like, there's just, there's so much more I could talk about that. I was just like, I don't have time to do it. And I don't want to split it and make it a two part thing. Yeah. And where do you go from being forced to be a hostess at a karaoke bar? Yeah. That's just so fucking crazy. You wouldn't think it was real. Yeah. So that brings us to this week's silver lining. So I had some thoughts. Uh, a A photographer who spent time in Korea brought up a great point that North Korea, while it is a very different country, is still populated with real people trying to live their lives. Uh, this photographer would go to North Korea once a month for 10 days for, he did this for like five years. So he spent regular time in this country. 
the pro yes, the propaganda machine there controls everything and controls what the outside world sees, but is still populated. He said it is still populated with people just like you and I who are trying to live our lives and have families just like many of us are. Uh, they just want an education. They just want shelter. They just want food. They just want a peaceful life. Their situation, however, is very different than ours, but they want the same things as we do. And he said that because he said he found when he came back to America that most people just dehumanize all people of North Korea. And he's like, no, no, no. There's like 80, over 80 million people in this country. He's like, the ones in power are the ones doing the awful things. And then it peters on down from there. We said most of the people just want to have a normal life like you and I, but they're unfortunate enough to have been born in North Korea. So uh, this may sound preachy, but I sincerely believe this. And I believe that the situation for the people of North Korea, oh yeah, it may sound preachy, but you know, deal with it. Um, you know, if you have a different opinion, that's fine. <clears throat> the people of North Korea really should remind those of us that live in Western nations, such as the United States, we are extremely privileged. We as people can voice our opinions. We can have freedom of the press and religion. We aren't under the constant watch of the government and police. We are not divided into separate classes and labeled based on how threatening we could possibly be to the government. We label ourselves Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or other, and we find ways to attack each other and alienate our friends and family members who have different political or re religious viewpoints. There are over 80 million people in North Korea who have no choice over what they think or believe. And if they, for an instant, show a sense of individuality or independent thought, they are killed or locked away in a concentration camp. Please do a self-assessment. Look at your beliefs and how you interact with those around you. Is it possible that you could be a little more accepting and loving towards those around you with different viewpoints, political or religious beliefs? I think it is possible, but it starts with us as individuals. Let's get out of our echo chambers and remember that there are millions of people on this planet that have far less rights and privileges than we do. I'm not saying abandon your convictions or beliefs. I'm suggesting that maybe being so narrow-minded about our beliefs and trying to only associate with other people who agree with us on every little thing doesn't make us better people. I believe we actually lose something in the process of isolating ourselves. We lose perspective. Maybe someone who thinks differently has a perspective that could perspective that could help you out in an area where you need help or vice versa. Trying to force our viewpoint down someone else's throat through an argument never, ever works. Cutting off contact from people because, the because of the arguments doesn't do any good either. Learn how to establish healthy boundaries in your life. Learn when to say no and know when to not say anything at all and simply just listen. I've learned myself that often saying nothing is, has been the far better option. Life in this world is very hard. Why spend that life fighting with those around us because our, of our differences? The next time someone talks about Trump or the Democrats or religion and you feel yourself getting upset and frustrated, remember that there are 80 million people on a small peninsula in Southeast Asia who aren't allowed to make decisions for themselves and in all likelihood will never be able to enjoy the freedoms you and I take for granted every day. The United States of America was founded on immigration and freedom. We were meant to be a country that took in anyone and everyone 
and celebrated our diversity of beliefs, faiths, and values. We cannot look to our government to fix our current problems or stop the process of division that is so prevalent today. That starts with you and I as individuals. That's our episode, everybody. And I'm proof because they took me. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I'm surprised I didn't have to use this button at all. Stop. <laughs> Stop, Juan. Like Stop a- doing this. <laughs> Sometimes I hate and love you at the same time. It's- <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I feel like I did really good, and I, I pulled one over on you there. You really did. You were like a, like an ex-wife. I just <laughs> stung it in, savored on it for a while, then watched me just have a meltdown. <laughs> Beautiful thing, man. Not going to lie, that totally made my week. <laughs> I think uh, I think I think Nick and Doug would like that. I'm gonna play that back over and over and over. <laughs> over and over and over. Until next time, kiss my yes. ass. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Seahawk Predator out. Bye bye. I could get laid, or I could get fucked by a donkey, or I could die.